The Hamlet Podcast, episode 164. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. We began last time with Hamlet's eager introduction to this new scene as he explains to Horatio what had happened on board the ship for England. Having made it back to his room with the papers he'd pinched, he found himself holding Claudius's signed request to have him killed. He shows it to Horatio. Here's the commission. Read it at more leisure. But wilt thou hear me how I did proceed? Obviously the commission is less lethal now that he has escaped. Indeed, he's almost dismissive of it, telling Horatio he can read it in his own time, at more leisure. What Hamlet wants to talk about is what happened next, and Horatio politely encourages him. I beseech you. Please continue, he's saying, and Hamlet does just that. Being thus benetted round with villainies, ere I could make a prologue to my brains, they had begun the play. I sat me down, devised a new commission, wrote it fair. I once did hold it, as our statists do, a baseness to write fair, and laboured much how to forget that learning. But, sir, now it did me yeoman service. Wilt thou know the effect of what I wrote? We are right back in the stressful situation of that sea voyage, as Hamlet has to think quickly how to prevent himself from getting killed once they land in England. He describes how he is thus benetted round with villainies. He's surrounded, caught in a net, by all these machinations and plots. Keeping with the idea of rashness discussed a few lines earlier in the previous episode, he describes how he acted on impulse. Ere I could make a prologue to my brains, they had begun the play. While a prologue might sketch out the actions ahead, as happens in Romeo and Juliet, or the dumb show before the murder of Gonzago, Hamlet acts without anything of the sort. No thinking, just action. He sits down and writes a new commission to replace the one he stole. And he wrote it in neat handwriting too. I sat me down, devised a new commission, wrote it fair. Again, here Hamlet slips into detail, and he describes how in the past he might have considered neat handwriting something only for servants. Apparently, Elsinore's statists, or politicians, likewise think it beneath them. Hamlet was obviously well educated, and he was taught good handwriting, as he hints that he had to work hard to break out of such strictures, to forget that learning. But, in fact, it turned out to be very useful indeed for this plan. I once did hold it, as our statists do, a baseness to write fair, and laboured much how to forget that learning. But, sir, now it did me yeoman's service. A yeoman was a servant in a royal household. Evidently, Hamlet feels that his good handwriting provided an unexpectedly useful service in this hour of need. Ever the tease, eager to heighten Horatio's interest, he prods and asks, Wilt thou know the effect of what I wrote? Does Horatio want to know what went into the new commission? To give Horatio the chance to show some impatience or eagerness, Shakespeare has him complete the line of verse with his answer. I, good my lord. If you take a look at the show notes page for this episode, you'll see I've laid out the text in such a way that you can clearly see how Horatio's answer tags onto Hamlet's question. Don't worry about poor Horatio, mind you. 
He does get an awful lot of filler text and simple answers in this early part of the scene, as he has had throughout the play, but he will come into his own again later in this scene. Meanwhile, Hamlet continues and describes what he wrote. He seems to be writing in very inflated language, which is a kind of mockery of diplomatic embassies and exchanges. He says that he's written an earnest conjuration from the king, as England was his faithful tribute, as love between them like the palm might flourish, as peace should stiff her wheaten garland wear and stand a comma between their amities, and many such like asses of great charge, that on the view and knowing of these contents, without debatement further, more or less, he should the bearers put to sudden death, not shriving time allowed. Hamlet explains that he has written as if on behalf of the king, and he's written a conjuration, literally a shared swearing, an earnest request, we might call it. He lays it on thick, describing that as England is a faithful tributary of Denmark, and do remember the excuse for this trip was to collect England's neglected tribute, England kind of owes Denmark and should do as requested. As a result, the love between them shall flourish like a palm tree, as peace should stand secure between the two nations, wearing her wheaten garland, a traditional sign of formal peace, stiff and fresh and renewed. There's a tricky little image here, too, of peace standing like a comma between their amities. Their friendships are so close that all that separates them is a comma, that tiniest possible divider between two things in writing. Now, you can imagine the look on Horatio's face as he tries to add up all these lofty images. But Hamlet himself seems to notice this, even as he's speaking, and he mocks the language himself, writing off all of this as many such like asses of great charge. Because, of course, all of those previous lines have begun with as England, as love, as peace, and so on. He doesn't list them all for fear of losing Horatio, or us, the audience. Suffice to say, he's filled this new commission with plenty of reasons for its English recipient to do whatever Denmark says. And what are Claudius's new instructions on this page? That, on the view and knowing of these contents, without debatement further, more or less, he should the bearers put to sudden death, not shriving time allowed. Hamlet has turned the tables. He's put up with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern ever since they arrived at court much earlier in the play. He never really seems to trust them, nor should we, and now he has effectively signed their death warrant. The reader of this commission is instructed to put them to death immediately. No further debate, just immediate sudden death. The sentence is particularly bleak. No shriving time is to be allowed. Now, despite his father's ghost having lamented being killed without a chance to atone for his sins, and despite Hamlet's own hesitation about killing Claudius while he was at prayer, Hamlet adds the detail that Guildenstern and Rosencrantz should be executed without any shriving time. There's no chance for them to have any solace or confession or salvation. This is what he has written. Kill them instantly. Now, maybe it's an understandable response, He's already been talking about how rashly he was acting in this chamber at night time on the ship, and he has just read a very similar instruction for his own immediate execution. All of the frustration that has built up towards these so-called friends bubbles over in the instant. 
Horatio, practical as usual, finishes another line of Hamlet's verse, this time asking, rather sensibly, how was this sealed? Because obviously the king's message, and certainly a message as dangerous and delicate as this one, would need to be closed up and stamped with the king's personal seal. So how did Hamlet pull that off? Be sure to tune in for the next episode, and I'll tell you how he did it. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Please be sure to visit the website, thehamletpodcast.com, for the show notes and text for this and every episode. I hope that you're doing well, and that you'll join me next time. I'll speak to you then.